0: If you got a Bible you're going to want to open this morning, we're going to be in uh, Acts chapter 16. That's the only place we're going to visit today, so we're going to walk through Acts chapter 16. So open up on your phone if you need to. I don't care how you do it. It's always good to have a Bible close to you. We'll put them up on the screen. But I would love for you to walk through your version of the Scriptures and... Uh, I don't know, maybe you pull out a pen if something strikes you and you mark it in your Bible or pull that card out in front of you and take some notes today. Uh, so recently I was attacked by a flock of sheep. Luckily I was only grazed. <laughs> yeah, speaking of things like that, did you, did you hear the other day there was a guy up at Costco that a whole crate of Omega-3 fell on him? That's all right, the wounds were only superficial superficial (sighs) omega-3. Thank you, Michael, for laughing at my jokes. I appreciate that. I I love you, Michael. You're awesome. Uh, So um, why why do we do this thing called church? I think it would be a good idea to talk about that this morning. And, uh, you know, uh, what is church? What is church? Well, what you saw the other day at the park was church. What well, you saw it was part at the park was church because church is not a building church is people yeah. Now the word Jesus used and the word Paul used in the scriptures for church is ekklesia and ek is a Greek word it's a preposition it means out of and kale, uh, klesia it comes from the Greek word kaleo which means to call or those who are called out called out of normal life to be an example of God's goodness and love to the world and we are a people who have been called out of darkness into God's light so that we can share His love with people around the world. So, ecclesia, the church, is not a building. It's the person sitting next to you. It's not a pastor. It's us together. And we are the church of Jesus Christ. We are the church of Jesus. So, why have a church then? Well, there's a perfect example. The other night at Harvest Blues, I was a little boy. um, And this little boy got lost. Get separated from his mom and dad. Now, this little boy didn't know that the people who found him were some of the most caring, loving, compassionate, and protective people you will ever meet in your life. He didn't realize that they've all raised kids, and they cared about the kids, and they were going to surround him, and nothing was going to get at that kid because he was protected. That kid was scared because he was lost. He didn't realize he was disoriented, and he didn't realize who was taking care of him because his world was disoriented in that moment, correct? So that little boy was scared, and he was crying. He was even fighting against the people at moments that were loving him and protecting him. Y'all get me on that one? So, what is a church? Oh, by the way, by the way, the the rest of the group were frantically searching to connect him to his parents, so there were people in walkie talkies going around trying to find looking for people and, and searching so the search was being made out there while protection was being made in here and that is an example of what the church of Jesus Christ is. We are a place where you can be protected and you can be sheltered and you can even fight against the people who are loving you and protecting you while we're searching for a way to connect you to your father. That is what the church is. We are a place that will go out of our way to keep people safe and protected while we help them reconnect. To their heavenly father, God. That is who we are. That's why we exist, and that's what a church at its core nature is. We're a fellowship of people loving God and helping others find that love of God. We define it this way. Harvest Ridge Church exists to share the life-changing power of Jesus with current and coming generations. Pastor Matt's right. One of the reasons we exist is we exist to raise up a next generation of people who will love God and be strong in character and faith and righteousness and will live lives as men and women in the middle of a crazy world where people are still being adolescents at 40. That's who we are. That's why we exist. And as you can hear from this group today, we agree. (laughs) That's why we're here. So if you're new with us, I just want to invite you in. I want to invite you that you belong here, and you can even kick and scream and fight against us. That's all right. We love you anyway. And we can help you work through questions you have and struggles you have. That's the reason we do things like our our class uh, of essentials, to help work through some of the big questions of life. That's the reason we have life groups. Later on you'll hear this all this stuff. So I, that, I just wanted to tell you, But we're here to introduce you to the life-changing power of Jesus. We want every person in the world to encounter the life-changing power of Jesus. Now, there are four catalysts in our story today. There are four catalysts that lead to people experiencing the life-changing power of Jesus. And what a catalyst is, a catalyst is something that, uh, um, like an engineer or a, a chemist, will introduce into something that is not changing. And they will introduce a catalyst to bring a change or a painter will introduce a catalyst into their paint to change their paint. Or on and on we could go, there are catalysts that are introduced into things to change the very nature and essence of what is going on for the better. And there are four catalysts in our story today that we're going to show that are introduced into normal life that bring about positive change and people encountering God. And I want to talk you about those four catalysts. And the first one is a plan. Now, I'll show you from Scripture what I'm talking about in a second, but let me say a couple words about a plan, first of all. If you plan to fail, or if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Anybody ever heard that one before? If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. I was at the uh, 9-11 memorial service and remembrance service yesterday, and I noticed the, uh, the color guard all had guns. Now, of course, they weren't loaded with they were blanks to fire for 21 gun salute but it got me thinking about how they handled the guns they handled the guns they picked them up they pointed them the right direction at the right time I noticed by the way these guys have carried real guns because never once did they point the barrel of the gun at a person because they've carried real guns because here's the deal my dad told me one time I pointed a gun at a person but I only did it once I was out hunting, and I did like that, and I went past somebody, and my dad made sure that I never pointed another gun at another person the rest of my life, because my dad said, if you point a gun at something, you better be ready to kill it, right? All right, so think about handling guns. There are people in the world that have handled guns, and what they do is, if you just pick up a gun, and you just pick it up and fire it, what's going to happen? Damage is going to be done. It might be damage to you. I knew a guy that pointed a gun. I I was raised in Oklahoma, but I knew a guy one time put his gun on his foot and accidentally bumped the trigger, and he shot a hole in his foot. I'm telling you, that's stupid. And if you don't use the word stupid, I'm sorry, you should use the word stupid, because some things are just stupid. (laughs) But if you pick up a gun and you just fire it, damage is going to be done. there's no purpose. So what do you do? Is you first of all think about what's the purpose for having the gun, what you want to do with it, where you're going to point it, and then only after you think about your plan, you aim, you get ready, you aim, and then and only then do you fire. But you learn how to plan before you aim. Are you following this? In life, we have this problem. A lot of us think that we're just going to wake up and life is going to give you everything you want. And that's like picking up a gun and just firing it without thinking about anything other than just firing it. It's a waste and it's dangerous. God did not give you a life so you can just float through life without a plan, He wants you to plan. And God wants to be in that planning process with you. So when I talk to, especially, you know, 17, 18, 19-year-olds, I love to talk to 17, 18, 19-year-olds. The reason I love to is, first thing I ask them to do is something that happened to me when I was in college. I had a professor say, I want you to imagine your life at 40. And then I want you to write down what your life will look like at 40. Well, you know me. I'm a little over the top, so I wrote down the hours I wanted to work. I wrote down the kind of community I wanted to live in. I I wrote down the kind of house I wanted to live in. I wrote down the kind of cars and if I wanted to be married, if I wanted to have kids. And I wrote all of those things down. I think I was 18 years old, and I wrote all those things down. I found that list about 10 years ago, and every single thing on that list was in my life today. What you plan for, you get, and I found out, I, I've done, read some leadership books and things like that, the person that makes a written plan for their life is like 90% success rate. If you want something, make a plan for it. Do you want a good job? Do you want to be married and have a healthy marriage? Do you, do you want to have kids? Do you want to have bills paid? Or do you want to live your life in debt all the time? What do you want out of your life? Make a plan. God is in the planning. And the first thing we could do to have a catalyst for the life God has for us is to make a plan. Now, I tell you all of that. Let me give you the background scripturally what I'm going to tell you. There were these guys, they, uh, they, uh, Paul and Silas and Barnabas, these these gentlemen had been taking the gospel to non-Jewish people. And the church had a big fight about it and a big discussion. They had a meeting, and they came out of that meeting in Acts chapter 15 with a statement of Paul, it's all right for you and your people to take the gospel message, the message of Jesus to non-Jewish people. And that's what happened in Acts chapter 15. So in Acts chapter 16, what do we find? We find Paul and them moving on the plan. Paul and his companions, verse 6, traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having, so what, what were they doing first of all? They made a plan, and they were going to go here. Now, I wanted to geek out at this, all right? I'm a bit of a geek. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to pull up slides, and actually I had them, and I deleted them. But I had slides of where Persian Galatia was, and I had slides of where they were going and where they went from to show you that they had an intentionality in their actions. But I figured y'all didn't want to know all the geeks behind it all. So I, I just tell you this. They had a plan. They were making their plan. They were moving in this direction. And what happened? They went with an intentionality of going this direction. And they were kept from the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. I thought God wanted everybody to be saved. I thought God wanted everybody to hear the message. He does. But it wasn't the time for these people. So he kept them from fulfilling their plan. They planned to go this way, and God said no. Who were they kept? By the way, who was keeping them from doing this? I thought, I thought, I thought the only person that ever fought your, your plan was the devil. Maybe God needs to fight your plan because you may be headed in, you may be headed somewhere, but you're headed the wrong somewhere. <laughs> and God loves you enough to keep you from going from the wrong somewhere, right? So he was kept from the Holy Spirit from going this way. So they came to the border of Mysia. They tried to enter this way. And God said, no, you're not going this way. You can't go this way. You can't go this way. The spirit of who? The spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Sometimes God stops your plan because it isn't the best plan. So you got this goal. You got this plan. I'm going to get there by going this way because we always want the shortest, easiest, non-pain route. And God says, oh, yeah, you want to get there? you got to go this way first. (laughs) And you're like, I don't understand. God, you don't love me. But it's the Holy Spirit, and it's the Spirit of Jesus pointing us outside of what we feel comfortable with because God's plan is never for you to be comfortable but for you to have character. Because if you're just comfortable, you may not have character, and God would rather you be a person of character because a person of character doesn't just enjoy life. A person of character makes everybody else's life better. All right? Thanks, Ollie. I'm trying, man. All right. I like it. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him. Oh, by the way, do you, know why, do you know why I believe God gave him the vision? Because Paul and Silas had determined to do something. You, you, you want to have a career that's worth having? Do something. You want to have a marriage that's worth having? Do something. You want to have finances under control? Do something. Go to work, develop a plan to pay off your bills. You, you want to have kids? Read a book about how to raise children. You want to have kids that are all right? Yeah, yeah. Do something. Put them, put them in Wednesday nights at church. You, you want to have a life that you're happy with? You want to overcome, you know, habits? Or do something. Because anybody ever try to steer a stopped car? It's stopped and you're like trying to turn the wheel. It's really hard to turn the wheel. And by the way, you can turn that wheel all day long, but you ain't doing a single thing, are you? All you're doing is rubbing the rubber off of those tires in one spot. That's all you're doing. But if you, want, if you want to change the direction of the car, you've got to get it moving first. And I want to tell you, God can direct you and change your life if you'll actually do something. Take a step, do something. I don't care if it's wrong, because God can direct you if you do something. So what happened? Paul saw this vision, and there was this man in Macedonia saying, come over and help us. So Paul had seen the vision, after he'd seen the vision, we, we got ready, all of us got ready to leave for Macedonia. And notice this key word here. See that word right there? Second one up from the bottom, starts with a C. Could y'all say that word out loud with me real quick, all right? Concluding. Now, this is a key word to the passage. In the, in the Greek, it means soon sunomos. Soon it, it brings the mind together. It brings the, the various thoughts that are out there together you're bringing them together what that means is this is that Paul and his guys they sit down and they had a talk about their experiences they were going through and they brought all those thoughts together and they they concluded that God wanted them to go this direction so me and my wife we um we planted this church in 1992 as church planters, we started, me and her, we were parachute drop. We'd only been to this town 30 minutes yeah. once before we came to plant the church, before we moved. So we moved to a place we'd only seen once for 30 minutes. And in those days, there was no internet, <laughs> So we didn't know anything about North Ridgeville. And we, we didn't know we called and found some place in the yellow pages. Yeah. We found some place to get a house. And we rented a place, so we started the church. And by the way, church planting is not a way to wealth and fame. And we weren't—we didn't—we didn't have any money. All right, we were on government assistance for years because we didn't have any money. And uh, you know, we even that we were underpaid. Even after the church grew, we chose to be underpaid to invest in this church. And so for years, we didn't even make a real good livable wage. But we always had a dream of living in a house. So we believe God can do the impossible. So my wife, she is a hardworking person. She goes and she finds uh, bank foreclosures and finds a list of them. She starts working with bank foreclosures and finds our house. We find our house. And man, it's going to be perfect. It's a four-bedroom house in a beautiful neighborhood here in North Ridgeville. And the bank foreclosure has it at a price we can afford you know so we even we going over we're laying hands on the house praying god give us this house we know it's your will yeah and you know what um there was black mold all over that house because it's flooded and black mold everywhere and the bank by the way didn't treat us nicely and we didn't get the house oh man we planned we moved we're working And through that conversations, though, my wife ran across this builder that had an odd lot that could only fit in a certain size of a house on it, and the guy let me redraw the interior of the house, so I created our own individual house. And the day we moved into that house we got from that builder, we could have sold it for $50,000 more the day we moved in it. I thought we were going over here and we wound up in a better neighborhood where I can walk to Dan Jerome's house to work out and I die only once a week. <laughs> Do you notice how God has a plan and he shapes our plan because eventually God's plan and our plan gets us usually very similar places. But our path would be without pain and his path is going to be a character development. And we're going to bless people on every side street. All right. I'm going to try to move along. Second is prayer. Sometimes we think the only people God listens to when they pray is leaders. But I want to show you from this passage, there was a lady who was praying, a lady who was praying, and God was hearing and answering her prayers. It's in Acts chapter 16, verse 3. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. There's a lot of things I could break down here, but Paul was going to a place that he thought Jewish people would be gathered. And by Jewish people, he thought Jewish men. But when he arrives there, all he found was a couple of ladies who were God-fearers. And, and let me just simply say this real quick. If you are a person that, that you're female and you have any kind of rights whatsoever, and you feel this level of equality in the world whatsoever, it is not the church's... Uh, the church is not to blame for taking those rights away. It is Jesus Christ and the church that has given you those rights. Because before Jesus came on the scene, women were treated like property. But I want you to know that it is through Jesus' work and especially the church of the early church, the work of the early church, that women were granted not only come on this lady is going to wind up being a key leader in the church. And as we'll find out next week when we look at the book of Philippians, we're going to find out that it was women that were the key leaders of the entire church. So if you have any kind of rights in this world, Jesus gave them to you. Our culture has been shaped more by the Bible giving rights to ladies than those other cultures where ladies are permitted no rights. So thank Jesus for that. So what happened? He thought he was going to find a place of prayer, and he sat down and began to speak with women who had gathered there. So there were only women there. Now, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira, so she was not a Jew. She was a, a person that had heard about God from Jewish people. So she was, a, uh, uh, she was from Thyatira. Her name was Lydia, and she was a dealer in pur- uh, purple cloth. We'll come back to that in a second. And... A, um, And she was a worshiper of God. So she was worshiping God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her house were baptized, she invited us into her home, and she said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And look at that last sentence, and she... Persuaded us. Now let's talk about this Lydia. This lady, Lydia was a lady of prayer who was at a place of prayer praying for a revelation from God and she was asking, God, I fear you, I honor you and God allowed her through the prayer to have her prayers answered to have the way of Christ open to her more fully. What are some things we know about Lydia from this passage? She was the first one to believe in Philippi. Not only was she the first one to believe, she was a worshiper of God with an open heart. Man, I wish more people were like that. A follower of God with an open heart. The next thing we know, she was a businesswoman. She, uh, the early church, by the way, was built mostly by strong women. <laughs> yeah. She was a businesswoman. And she was not only just a businesswoman, she was a successful businesswoman with a lot of money. How do I know that? Dealer in purple cloth, that was a very rare dye. It cost a lot of money for her to deal with rare cloths. And she was doing what she could. And we know that she was well-to-do because she had a large house, enough to invite a whole group of people who were traveling to come stay at her house and live with her house the whole six months they were in Philippi. And she provided for them and took care of their needs and fed them and gave them a place to live. And we also know something else about her. She was a woman of incredible influence. A woman of incredible influence. How do we know that? Because she believes in Jesus, and then her whole household gets baptized. <laughs> Who's the leader there? Her husband may be the head, but she was the neck that turned that head. <laughs> Come on. Well, in more ways than one, she probably turned his head. I can flirt with my wife while I preach, can I? <laughs> All right. Now, why, why do I say it? Because she was the one that, that led her entire family. Another thing we know about her is the apostles didn't want to do what she told them to do. And she did what? She Come on. She, she persuaded them. This was a woman of influence, of power, of strength, and of character and dignity. And she was praying, and God answered her prayers. Ladies, ladies, back when I was a kid growing up, We used to have some prayer warriors in the church. Those ladies, they would bombard the gates of heaven and people's lives would be changed. I pray to God, God would raise up intercessors for us again. And you know what, there are a few guy intercessors, but by and large, ladies, you're more wired for that. I just pray today, a couple of you would pick up that mantle of intercessor. And you'd say, you know what, I'm going to bombard heaven until something changes. Because ladies, you, you, you have a tendency for this. There was this, uh, the lady's name was Helen Rosevere. She was a doctor missionary from England. She went to Zaire, Africa, which is actually on the equator. And she told this story, and, and I wish I could read it because the whole thing's so good with so many details, but I'll just tell you the story. One day, there was a premature baby born in her hospital. She was the doctor there, and the baby was premature. And the mother died giving birth to the preemie baby little baby couldn't stay warm to stay alive because it was the equator. And if you know anything about deserts on the equator, they get cold at night even though it's boiling hot during the day. So um, this little baby, what they would do is they would fill up a hot water bottle with hot water and they would lay the baby next to the hot water bottle and the hot water bottle would keep them warm through the night. But what happened was when they went to fill up the hot water bottle that night and they only had one hot water bottle, it burst. So they came to the doctor and they said uh, the hot water bottle burst. So they came up with a plan that first night to keep the baby warm. Well, the very next day, the doctor's meeting with a group of girls from the the village in the area, and they're meeting around uh, young kids, guys and girls, and she's telling them the story and asking them to pray for the little baby uh, because... They, you know, when you're in the bush in Africa, you can't go to the local pharmacy and get a new hot water bottle. And the only, you know, the, the, the only city with a hot water bottle would be hours away, and the, they couldn't do that. So um, they asked to begin to pray, and they developed a plan, you know, somebody was going to lay next to the baby, try to keep them warm. And Anyway, the doctor shares this group of kids in front of her that... Um, Pray for the little baby, and they lost their hot water bottle. Well, Ruth was a 10-year-old girl, and Ruth, in typical 10-year-old girl Faith, says, "Jesus, send us a hot water bottle today." Well, you know, come on. By the way, this doctor had been at this outpost for six years and had never received a parcel from home. six years. Never received a single passage from home, package from home. And she can't go to the doctor's office, so she's just sort of like, oh no, Ruth, come on, why would you pray that? And then Ruth gets even crazier. Ruth says, and God, give her a dolly too, so she will know she's loved by you. There's only one way, and that way is impossible. In six years, it's never happened. So... You know, the doctor does the best she can. Well, you know, God still loves us even if it doesn't happen, you know, like we adults do. So guess what? Doctor goes throughout the day. Later that day, she gets a a messenger, runs and says, hey, there's a parcel at your house. Now, remember, she hadn't had a parcel in six years. And she goes back to her house, calls all the kids together, and they open it up. When they open it up, there's some blankets in there, you know, some special blankets made for the kids in the orphanage. There's some nuts and some things they can make special bread with. And it's all really cool, a 22-pound package. And they're cutting it open, and and they pull it out. And as they're pulling off, all the kids are oohing and and you know, looking at the garments and stuff. And finally, the, the doctor sticks her hand down there, and sure enough, she feels it. And she pulls it out. And Ruth said, I knew it would be here. And then she runs over and shoves to the front and says, there's got to be the dolly in there too. Now remember, this is a parcel sent to orphan kids. And there's one hot water bottle and one doll. And what she found out later is they were both thrown in last minute five months before was thrown in. So that little Ruth's prayers, when prayed that day, would be answered. So that everyone would know that God not only loves that little girl, he loves them too. Don't be afraid to pray. Third thing is praise. I'm sorry, power. Let's talk about power. Uh, this, this is I'll make this really quick. Acts 16, 16 through 18. Once when they were going to the place of prayer, here they are praying again. They were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which he predicted the future. You know, the devil can, can say things that are mostly true. But if he gives you a mostly truth, it's going to be to mess you up. Because sometimes, I, I know I got caught a time or two, and you can tell 95% of the truth and get by with it, but there's 5% of the lie that makes it a lie. Lie, lie. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Where were you? <laughs> Tell 90. Come on, you guys have done it. You've done it a dozen times. That's what the devil does. He only tells part of the truth. Notice what happened. This demonically oppressed slave girl, she was possessed by a devil, and she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for owners by fortune telling. So, she made a lot of money for people. And then she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting. Notice what she was saying. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. But apparently, even though that's true, apparently there was more going on. She might have been mocking them or something. So, finally, she kept this up for many days. And finally, I love this. Paul became so what? Come on. What did Paul become? Hmm. Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. And I just want to say this to you, okay? There's, God has more than enough power to deal with any problem that you're facing. And some of you are being drugged down by the devil's lies and by, by spirits that are, that are bombarding your brain and bombarding your family. And when are you going to get annoyed enough by the devil to tell him to get lost? All right, I think you got that. So we'll go to praise. The last one's praise. So Paul and Silas, what happened was after this girl, this girl gets the demon cast out of her. She can't tell the future anymore. Now these guys lose their money, and they're mad. So what do they do? They bring Paul and Silas, and the other apostles, and they bring them before the magistrates, and they start stirring up a fuss. We pick this up in verse 22. It says, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered that they be stripped and beaten with rods. Now, come on. All they've done so far is pray and show God's power to release people from demonic oppression. All they've done is include people to this point, and what, this is their plan. They're, they're seeing lives change, and what happens? God says, it's, time for you to develop some character. So they get beaten. I thought if you did the right thing, you would live in safety, peace, and happiness. I thought that's what we were supposed to do. I thought the ultimate for our lives was to live in safety, peace, and happiness. But yet, I will tell you this, if you believe that all God wants you to be is safe and happy, then you are missing God's real purpose for your life. God wants you to be holy, he wants you to be useful, and he wants you to do something with your life to impact the world you're in, not simply for you simply to be happy. God didn't save you just so you could live easy. God wants to deliver you so you can do something useful. And sometimes the only way to do something useful is if it hurts. So what happened? They stripped them and beat them with rods. That sounds like... (laughs) Come on, American Christianity's lied to you. They've lied to you. If you're really going to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you a lot, but it'll be worth every single moment of it. So they beat them with rods. And after they had been severely flogged. Notice that. It wasn't just flogging. It was severely flogged. Then they threw them into prison. Now, these aren't our prisons with concrete walls and air-conditioned heat. This is a dungeon in the bottom of a house, probably. It was a dungeon, and there's no lights, and there's probably rats calling around, and there's feces on the floor, and there's all kinds of bad issues going on, and they didn't just throw them into prison. The jailer was commanded to guard them Carefully, so what did he did when he received these orders? He put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet with stock. So now they can't not only fight off the rats, the rats are there, but they can't fight them off because they can't get away from them because they're stuck where they're at. It's cold and it's damp and it's dirty and it's nasty and it's dark. And there are bugs and spiders, and how many of you are ready for this part of your kingdom service? No. Didn't sound very nice. What happened though? About midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining and griping. What were they doing? Praising. Singing and praising. Oh, come on. You and I would be complaining and griping, right? But what were Paul and Silas doing? They were praising God and singing in the middle of the prison, in the middle of the bad situation. They lifted their voices in praise. And I want you to know why they went there. Why they went there was not because they did something wrong. They went there because they did something right. And when they got there, they did something more right. And notice this, the other prisoners were listening to them. Who is listening to you as you work through life's trials? Your kids are. Your family is. You know who's listening to you? Your coworkers are listening. Are you a complainer or a praiser? Who's listening to you in your time of trouble? There are a group of people listening to you. And if you'll praise God through it, I believe God will not only deliver you, but we're going to find out in this story, he wants to deliver them. So... But not only were they listening to him; I believe God was listening. You know why I believe God was listening to them? Praise in the prison, in the stocks, after getting the snot beat out of them. Because in Acts 16, 26, it said, Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once the prison doors flew open. And how many people's chains come on? Everyone's chains came loose. God didn't just deliver Paul and Silas. God delivered all of them. And what happened? Well, the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, hey, listen, I'm in charge now. God put me in charge of your prison. And he said, you, don't kill yourself. You people, don't go anywhere. Come on, come on. God might put you in the prison just to take over prison. That's what he did with Joseph, right? God may put you in a slave house just so you take over the slave house. That's what he did with Joseph. That's what he did here. God may put you in a problem so you can learn to own the problem and fix the problem. I just want to preach, but i got to go. It's second service. I can take my time. Uh-huh. And all the band back here is like, no, you told us. no." (laughs) But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer brought in lights because there was no lights and it was dark. And he rushed in and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? God's power got revealed to somebody when somebody was obedient to suffer the beating and to praise in the middle of the prison. And when they spoke the word of the Lord to him, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his entire household were baptized and the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before him. And he was, notice this, he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God He and his whole household. Who's listening to your praise in the middle of the prison? Who's listening to your praise after you got beat? Somebody's listening on heaven. And somebody's listening in earth. Somebody's listening. And God's listening and people are listening. And you and I have to be a people that learn to praise God through the struggles of life and we will see the miracles happen. We make a plan. I make this plan. This is my plan for my life. God, this is where I want to be, what I want to do. This is my plan. And God says, well, are you going to pray about it? So when you begin to pray about it, he's going to shape it. And then what he's going to do is he's going to interact with his power. And then lastly of all, you're going to praise him through all of the things you don't understand as you develop at his plan and develop the life God wants you to have. And I know this, God wants you, every single one of you listening to me, God wants you to live the kind of life that for the rest of eternity, you can be happy you lived it. And your grandkids and your great-grandkids, they may not understand everything you went through, but they're going to say, like I say about my grandpa, he's a good man. He was a good man. He was faithful. He was strong. He loved. He gave. He served. He was a good man. What are they going to say about you in 50 years? Would you bow your heads with me? I've got a question to ask you. This is the question I've got for you. God wants you to have his life. Will you receive it? Will you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and receive his life? Will you? If you have never made that profession of faith in Jesus as your Lord, today's your day. You're not here by accident. He bent the plan to get you here. And I'm asking you, if you haven't made your confession of Jesus as Lord... I'm going to ask you right now to do so. If you haven't done that, you'd like to, and make Jesus your Lord today, would you lift your hand real high? I want to pray with you. Yes. Are there others? Yes. There are others? Hey, we're going to pray together. Everybody prays together at Harvest Ridge. Everybody. Every voice out loud. Nobody prays alone. Let's do this right now. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for giving me your life. Thank you for making a plan for my salvation. Help me walk in it with character and integrity. I receive you now as my Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your life. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, guess what just happened? You became new in Jesus Christ. You're going to be really, really bad at sinning now. (laughs) You're going to get caught every time. Things are going to go wrong. You're going to, you know what's going to happen? God's going to take you at your word and he gave you his life and you get an opportunity to live his life now. We want to end this way. There are some of you in this room today, maybe you feel like you've been beat up. Maybe you feel like you've been thrown in the prison. Maybe you feel like things aren't going the way you want it to. And and you've been thinking, God, where are you? I want to tell you that God's here in the middle of it with you, and he is working his plan, even in the middle of it. What you and I need to do is we need to praise God. So I picked a hymn, because it says in the passage, they were singing hymns and praising God. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, and if you need to just sing this hymn with all your gusto, I'm going to ask you to sing it with all your gusto as we sing this, because we're here to praise God in the middle of the craziness. Can we do it together?